the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 13th. On today's show, I want to catch all of you listeners up on everything that has happened at this week's ATP 1000 level event in Monte Carlo. Of course, I have to focus in particular on a dramatic Thursday of play. You had multiple headline results emerging throughout the day. The most notable, of course, will be Lorenzo Musetti's three-set victory over world number one Novak Djokovic. That was not the best match of the day. That title belongs to our night captain, Neil Medvedev, earning a thrilling three-set victory over Alex Virev. Medvedev facing elimination down 5-4 in both the second and third sets with Zverev serving for the match. Zverev has a match point up 6-5 in the third set tiebreak. Had a look at a second serve backhand return that he blasts long. Medvedev on the brink of elimination manages to extend his stay in Monte Carlo, manages to sustain his remarkable run of success to open this 2023 season. Obviously, that's the result I want to lead today's show with, but as I alluded to, you do have the Musetti upset. You have Holger Runa. I know this was a round two result, but oh man, did he look exceptional against Dominic team in both Runa and Yannick Sinner, who earned an impressive three-set victory over Hubi Hercots today. Those are two next-gen ATP 2.0 guys. Obviously, I've talked about Sinner so much of late. I think Runa, in terms of mainstream consideration amongst tennis fans would be in that upper tier next gen ATP 2.0 caliber. How could he not be top 10 player in the world? French Open quarter finalist, Paris Masters champion. Again, that's not a hot take nor a revelation, but both of them have looked the part this week in Monte Carlo. And yes, it's week one of the clay court season. You never want to read too deeply into one week of results, particularly given how physical we know this portion of the calendar is. That said, I got to spend some time talking about Sinner, talking about Runa, talking about your biggest upset on the day on paper, Jan Leonard Struff, who we had the opportunity to sit down with and speak to for 20 minutes in at the 175 event in Phoenix, that Arizona Tennis Classic. You can go hear that conversation right now on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Everything we discussed still very pertinent to today. Struff has refound his form, and prior to the start of this COVID era, August 2020, Jan Leonard Struff was playing the best tennis of his career. Now, he's gotten off that path over the course of the past few seasons, but this result in Monte Carlo matches very much with what I saw with my eyes in Phoenix. He's fit. He's in form. He still has the weapons that defined his rise in the men's game rises a bit hyperbolic. His success that he's had throughout his career in the men's game, you see those weapons on display. Let's talk Struff. Let's talk everything that's happened in Monte Carlo. I want all of you listeners to feel like you are prepared for a very exciting championship weekend of play coming out of listening to this show. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out is because of all of you. We're immensely grateful you turn to us for all of your tennis 
information needs. For what it's worth, why this mini break podcast has been less frequent of late is because we've been busy shining a spotlight on some of the other levels of the tennis world. In particular, we are very busy with the home stretch of the Division One college tennis season. And I know a lot of you mini break listeners like to focus on the pros. I would point to the fact you see players like the Ben Shelton's, the Cam Norries, the Danielle Collins, the Jennifer Brady's, countless top professionals in the doubles ranks. Just about all of them, not just about all of them, too hyperbolic. Many more than back in the day have college tennis ties. And if you want to know who the next stars in the game are, you shouldn't just be watching the futures, the challengers results. You should be watching college tennis as well. We're so fortunate to be able to put on broadcasts on ACC Network, SEC Network Plus, ESPN, uh, watch ESPN app, excuse me, each and every weekend, Friday, Sunday. You'll be able to follow those broadcasts. I believe they start at noon and 3 p.m. Central uh, Eastern time, excuse me, on each of those days, respect. Effectively. A lot of good college tennis down the home stretch. We've got some fun NCAA plans uh, for the NCAA tournament in May as well. So if you are intrigued or perhaps want to know why we are so intrigued by the college tennis world, you can dip your toes into it by listening to our Division One weekly recaps every week on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can watch those every Tuesday and Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel if you want to see my smiling face. Uh, and of course, we've got plenty of great interviews with players, coaches over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. So that's what we're up to. If you got to catch up on any of our Cracked Rackets content, you can find it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. A shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff for all he does to make everything we do here at CR possible. Of course, a massive shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well. We've given enough shout outs here to start Thursday's show. So I'll be brief. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices in the tennis world. With that said, let's get into everything that's unfolded this week in Monte Carlo. I have to start with Medvedev Zverev. I've made this case before on past mini break podcast episodes, but it's worth reiterating. There is a parallel universe or to use the Avengers Marvel terms, there's a multiverse scenario out there where Daniil Medvedev and Alex Zverev is the defining rivalry right now on the ATP Tour. There's another world where Alex Virev wins the 2020 U.S. Open, knocks off Dominic Team. Certainly, he served for that match, even if he never got to match point in the fifth set. Rides that wave of success through that 2021 Olympic gold medal. Meanwhile, Daniil Medvedev takes that 2021 U.S. Open. Now, all of a sudden, maybe these two are the two best players in the world. Both of them, of course, 1996-97. So, you know, respectively going to turn 27-26 here this year. They're both smack dab in the prime of their career. They both have multiple 1,000-level titles. Both have one-year-end championships. Both have been perennial top five guys now for the better part of a half decade, if not more. There's a multiverse out there where this rivalry, again, would be the defining rivalry of the current ATP Tour era. And of course, it's not because you have the sustained excellence of Djokovic and Nadal. You have the rise of a Carlos Alcaraz and guys like Sinner and Runa on the fringes. You have the fact that Alex Virov rolls his ankle and is out for, you know, fractures and is out for the majority of the 2022 season, really blunting his momentum after a time where, you know, he had made, what, second weeks of slams, like, 
nine or 10 or 11, 12, maybe even in a row, obviously was constantly in quarterfinals, semifinals, only the one final, obviously at the U.S. Open, but had played a a bunch of defining matches at slams, even if they're defined by their ugliness, still defining matches, knocking out Alcaraz, right? At last year's Roland Garros. Uh, You know, you look for both of these guys over the course of their career. What I also think is one of my fun stats I always like to share. You look at the career head-to-head. Who have these two played most of opponents in their careers? It's now, again, for each of these guys, they've played one another more than any other opponent. Now, for Alex Virev, it's clean cut. He's played Medvedev 14 times, now 6-8. and eight. In the career head-to-head, uh, that's the most he's played anyone. Second most, it's Tsitsipas, who he's 4-8 against. Djokovic, 4-7. Team, 3-8. Nadal, 3-7. Those are the five guys he's played double-digit amounts of times, which, by the way, you listen to those names, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Team, Nadal, those are the guys who have defined the past six years. Uh, Alex Zverev's prime, he's playing a lot of those guys in the biggest stages of events, and those have been the biggest names. A testament to the, you know, when you're playing the best players of an era more frequently than you're playing anyone else, it means you're getting to the biggest stages of events. And for all of Alexander Zverev's faults, and there are many, particularly personally, you can't you can't knock his resume. He has put together one of the five best resumes of the past six years, I think, in all of tennis. And obviously Medvedev unequivocally on that list as well. He has that slam title, which separates him from Zverev. He's reached world number one. He's played both Djokovic and Zverev 14 times in his career. Eight and six against Zverev, five and nine against Djokovic, which by the way, ain't too shabby. Seven and four in his career against Tsitsipas as well. Those are the three guys he's played double digit amount of times. Again, I just think there it's worth revisiting that fact of why I always enjoy when these two share the court is because I do think they're two defining talents of their era. Whether that means they're Hall of Fame talents, I think Daniil Medvedev pretty clearly is going to get there at this point. We're not even going to have that sphere of discussion right now because we still have so much of his career remaining, but... You know, again, these guys also kind of epitomize what 2020 ATP tennis looks like. They're both six foot six, and yet when they're at their healthiest, neither lacks from a movement perspective the fluidity in and out of corners, the backhands, two of the best on tour right now. Obviously, you look at the serves as well. It's a stark reminder they are both six foot six. Their ability to win free points with those serves, as well as everything they bring physically and from a ground stroke perspective, as well as, I suppose, you know, both of them have their quirks as volleyers. I still think they're both solid volleyers as well. They're just really well-rounded, next-generation athletes. And on a slow clay court, in slow conditions, this match was extraordinarily physical. Ultimately, Daniil Medvedev got there, I promise, folks. Long way to get there, but just took me four minutes to get to the result in Monte Carlo. Daniil Medvedev, 3-6, 7-5, 7-6, 9-7 in the third set breaker. He was down a match point, 5-6 in that breaker. He fights his way back to win that match in three. Now, Look, the stats for Daniil Medvedev remain gaudy. You look at him now in the 2023 season, Daniil Medvedev, a ridiculous 31-3 to start his year. Of course, it's worth noting he has now won 26 of his last 27 matches. And, you know, during that stretch of time now, Daniil Medvedev, 12 top 20 wins. He's won, excuse me, 11 top 20 wins since the start of February. Fun fact, last season, 
Djokovic, Alcaraz had 19 top 20 wins that led the uh, ATP top 50. Only seven players recorded double-digit top 20 wins last season. Medvedev's got 12 by the start of April. That's ridiculous, and it just speaks to the pace he is on. Already over the 30-win mark, first player on the ATP Tour to do so. Look, in terms of the match, it w- it's exactly what these two bring. Things get sloppy. Things get physical. No two points look exactly the same. Of course, on this surface, you'd think with how slow the surface is, I still think Alex Virov is not moving his best. I think he's a half step slow, which is better than he even was at Indian Wells, where he was probably still a full step slow. Just the slowness of the court afforded him a little bit more time. I think the same case is here on the clay. The difference is he's sliding into his shots a little bit more comfortably. Now, he's a little late in getting there on the slide, and so it's a little tough for him to recover out of his corners, but he is moving better. You saw him in his service game, 5-3, closing out the first set. A couple of drop shots he tracks down, pulls off two remarkable volleys. The first, the backhand volley down, uh, cross court. The second, the reflex forehand volley uh, on set point to close out the set. The first set was fairly straightforward for Zverev. And again, neither of these guys served particularly well on the day. Zverev, yes, he landed 62% of his first serve, but wasn't a ton on it by the end of the match. Meanwhile, Medvedev only landed 54% of his first serve, and we saw him double fault, what, the first set away, a break. We saw him double fault a break away in the second set as well. That serve was just shaky for Medvedev throughout. I will say, you look for Daniil Medvedev. As I forecasted heading into this clay court season, I said one of my hot takes, I think Medvedev's going to have a huge clay court year. I think a couple of things. A, I think the serve will still afford him free points, even if they're fewer on the clay courts. B, I think, and, and that's something that other players just simply don't have on this surface. B, I think there's a degree of physicality Daniil Medvedev brings to these clay courts, and ultimately that's the underlying challenge on clay. This match, Zverev, Medvedev, three hours, five minutes. You don't see a hint of fatigue on Medvedev's body, even if he does freak out, and even if there are the the the, the mental lapses in concentration physically he is in for the fight each and every point and I just don't worry about his physicality on this surface I do think he's sliding a lot more comfortably into his ball now as a mover on this surface I think his forehand has a little bit more action and given he has a little bit more time given that ball's a little bit higher on his shoulder he can kind of come over the top of it and I actually think his forehand might be slightly more effective on a clay court than it is on a hard court. I thought he did a great job pushing Alex Virov into that forehand corner, particularly when under pressure in those four or five return games for Medvedev. And then, you know, again, ultimately, Zverev blinked. Like, he couldn't find first serves when he needed them. He gets so tentative in those big moments when he's trying to serve out matches or serve out sets. And, you know, Daniil Medvedev's going to make you pay because he is always going to put the ball in play. He's never going to give you anything for free. And, you know, again, you look for Medvedev now. I mentioned the 8-6 and six record. He has now won seven of the last eight against Zverev. Now, for what it's worth, three of those matches have gone 7-5 or 7-6 in the third. In fact, four of Medvedev's wins, 7-5 or 7-6 in the third. These matches are extraordinarily close. Medvedev's got the mental edge right now. 
And I think that's significant moving forward. Again, I think physically he is just ready for this clay court season in a way he hasn't been in years past. And, you know, you look for Daniil Medvedev now in his career at the ATP level on the clay courts. Medvedev still 20 and 23 overall into the quarterfinals on a clay court for just the fourth time in his career. Now, it's the second time in Monte Carlo. And he has made the second week of the French Open in consecutive seasons coming into 2023. I think that level's deceiving. I just think he's on a plane physically where regardless of if his backhand is a little bit less effective on this surface because it does sit up a little bit more, regardless of the fact that he's a good mover, not the elite mover on clay that he is on hard courts, I think Medvedev's in for a big clay court season. Of course, it's worth remembering last season, you look on the clay for Daniil Medvedev, he played 10 total matches. Uh, Excuse me, he didn't play 10 total matches. You look for Daniil Medvedev on the clay last season, he played five total matches. He played two events. Geneva, where he lost first round to Gasquet, round of 16 French Open. He's already got a quarterfinals here at Monte Carlo to kick things off. You look for Medvedev currently sitting at four in the rankings, but if he wins another match, he'll leap over Rude. He'll get up to number three where I think he belongs. I think Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz is your... I would throw Sinner in there and say that's your pretty clear-cut top four, and for what it's worth, you look at the points race right now. Medvedev one, Djokovic two, Sinner three, Alcaraz four. I mean, yeah, like he's the number four player in the live rankings in the world. Even if he's a little bit worse on the clay courts than he is on the hard courts, he's still, I think, at minimum a top 25 player on this surface. And I expect to see him in a couple of quarterfinals, not just here, but, you know, a faster surface maybe in Rome. And I think he'll be fine in Madrid. I think he plays Barcelona because it is free points, because he can go after and chase world number one, given the fact that he didn't really have a good final third of last year. And you just feel like if he can sustain this level, boy— the city opener Acapulco, where he won a title last year, Canada, Cincinnati, the U.S. Open. Number one is on the table for Daniil Medvedev, very much so, obviously, with how he started the year. He's playing exceptional tennis. As for Zverev, he's getting closer. And I do think last year he was the second best player in the world on clay. Obviously, Nadal was number one, and we're not going to relitigate the argument. Would Zverev have won that Rafa match in the semis of the French Open? Certainly was up for the challenge physically. Certainly seemed to be serving well enough before his ankle was fractured. Still, you got to see someone beat Rafa at Roland Garros before you ever believe it. He's a half a step away. He is playing better, hitting the ball huge. The serve isn't quite there yet, but... It's getting closer. Everything's getting closer for Zverev. And yeah, this is a, a a crunching loss. You know, certainly will hurt given he served for it twice. But he's one of the 10 best players in the world on clay. Clearly when he's playing his best, I think one of the five. And that's a really good win for Medvedev. The most significant thing that's happened this week at Monte Carlo. I think the second most significant thing relates to Sinner and Runa. No disrespect to Musetti's three-set win over Novak Djokovic, which, again, I promise we're going to address here on this show. That is one of the headlines. But I want to move next to Sinner and Runa. Holger Runa came to the mainstream tennis con- uh, tennis fans' attention Excuse me, during the clay court season last year. Of course, you look for Holger Runa, who was outside the top 100 to start last season. What he was able to do on the clay courts, he makes a run to the title, his first of his career at the ATP level in Munich, makes a semifinal in Lyon, beats Tsitsipas and Shapovalov on his way to the quarterfinals in Roland Garros. 
certainly had mainstream success on clay in his career, but you look for Hogaruna is 93 and 44 overall on clay courts in his career. That's a 68% win percentage. He's played more matches on clay, uh, the 127 compared to the 119 he's played on hard courts. Excuse me, I said 127. He's played 137 matches on clay, 119 on hard courts. The majority of his challenger success started out on clay courts, and you look for him at that challenger level. He went 35-12. and 12. He won, I believe it was, yeah, four different challenger finals uh, on clay courts, all prior to, I believe, turning, what, 20 years old? And he doesn't turn 20 years old until the end of this month. So, again, these are all as a teenager for Hoglaruna. Clay courts have been the foundation of his success, and it's because he's an elite returner on the surface. Just you give him a little bit more time to swing through his forehand. That backhand's going to be elite on any surface. He's such a fluid mover. Slides into his shots, right? We always say, and just a reminder, this is the first of many times you'll hear this over the course of clay court season podcasting. What's the difference between a good mover and a great mover on the clay courts? A good mover slides out of his shots. A great mover is sliding into his shots and is on that slide and finishing their slide as they're making contact with the ball so that they do have that extra half second to recover back to the center. That's how natural and fluid Hogaruna is as a mover. And I know he got the withdrawal from Berrettini, but God, he gave Dominic Team the business. Team didn't play poorly. He just could not hit Runa out of the center of the court, outside of landing a first serve, first strike. Like, Runa was dictating. Runa was playing with depth through the backhand wing, and Runa is able to drive his backhand so well if you provide him any sort of topspin that that inside-out forehand for Dominic Team was kind of neutralized. Similarly, Runa is so aggressive in finding forehands now and was constantly pushing forward, incorporating his drop shots. He's gotten so much more comfortable. He is not just a competent volleyer. He is a good volleyer. Wins 80% of his first serves. His patterns were relentless. He was just on the gas pedal from the start. Again, don't forget Holgaruna last year, one of the 14 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage on the clay courts, uh, and he did that at 19 years old. Like he made the quarterfinals and won a title, uh, made the quarterfinals of the French Open and won a tour level title at 19 years old. Yeah, he's going to be a superstar on the clay courts. Watching him Duff's team was a reminder of that and. Look, that's a fascinating matchup for Daniil Medvedev because, again, it's a fish out of water versus a shark back in the ocean. And it's going to be fascinating uh, to see how Runa's weapons, uh, you know, again, his unpredictability, how Medvedev adapts to that because Zverev was fine playing tentative, in rhythm, 20-shot rallies. You can lull Holger Runa into that. That said, if Holger gets a taste of blood early in a match, he'll re- retain his aggression, and he was in form against Dominic Team, going to be well-rested against Medvedev tomorrow as well, so that could be a schedule loss as much as just a Holger Runa is better than Daniil Medvedev on clay court loss straight up. Runa's looked excellent. Did Sinner look excellent against Hubi Hercots today? Not always. Was very sloppy. Gets broken right out of the gate, and then credit to Hubi. Isn't broken on serve in a 6-3 first set. You know, you look overall in the match, though. Once Sinner found his serve, once he found his footing, Yannick Sinner, 6 of 8 in fighting off break point chances, was broken once in the second set, but I believe was up a break at the time. He was broken when 75% of his first serve points... 
God, is he sliding well around the clay courts. He's just such an outstanding mover. So fluid, sliding into his shot. I mean, obviously, the firepower, the explosiveness of his ground strokes has no problem generating depth from the corners on any surface. You look for Yannick Sinner now 14-3 and in his last 52 weeks on clay. Made quarterfinals Rome, round of 16 Madrid, round of 16 Roland Garros where he had to retire with injury. And then, of course, won the UMAG title last July where he beat Alcaraz in the final. You look for Yannick Sinner in his career, 108-42 and on hard courts. He's 172 percent of his matches. That's pretty good, darn good. He's also 37 and 17 on clay courts. He's won 69 percent of his matches. He's made quarterfinals at the tour level five different times, including twice or now three times with his quarterfinal here. It's his sixth quarterfinal on clay with this Monte Carlo result. Third at a Masters 1000 on clay. He also has a Roland Garros quarterfinal under his belt. I mean, again, analytically, he's one of three players right now to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. It's Djokovic, Medvedev, Sinner in that club. I mentioned it earlier, third in the points race, ninth in the live rankings. But you look at the ELO ratings, Yannick Sinner, fourth in overall ELO, fourth in clay court specific ELO, third in 2023 specific ELO. You know, you look at total wins now on the season for Yannick Sinner. I believe he's trailing just Daniil Medvedev at this point, uh, second place in total wins. He's even beaten top 20 players now. You look for Yannick Sinner, 5-4 and four against the top 20 here this year. Obviously got the massive win over Alcaraz in Miami. Now a good three-set win over Hoopy here at, in the round of 16 to get to the quarterfinals. He's obviously got the inform and fellow countryman Musetti. Sinner 1-0 and in the career head-to-head. Will there be any hangover for Lorenzo Musetti? That is the question, as Musetti did the seemingly impossible, right? He knocks off Novak Djokovic, and that one had to feel particularly sweet for Lorenzo Musetti for a couple of reasons. Not just because he's gotten to a slow start, off to a slow start, excuse me, here in 2023, but of course, uh, because, you know, his breakout moment came against Novak Djokovic. You look for Lorenzo Musetti back in the 2021 French Open. Musetti up two sets to love on Djokovic in that round of 16. Uh, ultimately loses that match in three sets. Djokovic runs away, right, with the final two sets. It's what, 6-1, 6 love, 4-0, and Musetti's forced to retire with injury. For a Lorenzo Musetti, who again enters this event here in Monte Carlo overall on the year, right around 500. In fact, he came into Monte Carlo, what, six and eight, under 500 overall on the year. And that's including a clay court stretch in South America that saw him go one in three overall and win just two sets in his eight matches. You know, quarterfinals last week in Marrakesh, he loses in three sets to the eventual finalist, Alexander Muller, but another non top 50 loss. Comes out this week, 6-0 over Kesmanovic. Schedule loss given Kesmanovic made the Estoril final. 0-0 over Luka Nardi yesterday. And then look, you know, Djokovic is up 5-2 in the first set. Medved- uh, Musetti, excuse me, gets that break back. Djokovic is able to close things out on- with a break of Musetti, 4-6-4. Some incredible defense from Djokovic. Then they trade four breaks. To start that second set, Djokovic, the ridiculous retrieval of the drop shot to secure the break after Musetti misses the low backhand volley uh, for two all. The biggest compliment I can give Lorenzo Musetti today is that he hung tough. I mean, he faced 13 break points. He was broken seven different times. You're down a set and 4-3 to Novak Djokovic. You have a rain delay in the match. 
Lorenzo Musetti was in for the fight. And look, you're going to get a lot of Novak Djokovic analysis, I'm sure, throughout the tennis world. I'll keep mine brief. He played terribly. He was the first to admit it. Go listen to his press conference. Everything was left short. Yes, Djokovic was hitting the backhand consistently. He could not create any sort of damage with his backhand cross court today. Everything was in rhythm for Lorenzo Musetti. And even when he tried to amp up the forehand pace, it would either A, miss wide, you know, yanked it wide or pushes it long, or B, Lorenzo Musetti was there because he was in the fight. He was moving extraordinarily well. Musetti so fluid on this surface. This is obviously the surface he's had the most success in his career as well. Look, I don't read anything into this clay court result for Novak Djokovic. Go back to the 2021 season when he won Roland Garros. He lost second round Monte Carlo to Dan Evans. He lost Belgrade semifinals to Aslan Karatsev. He lost, you know, Rome final to Rafa before going on and winning Roland Garros. You look for him last year. He, you know, loses first round Monte Carlo to Davidovich Fokina, then goes on to make finals Belgrade, semifinals Madrid, win Rome, and then lose quarterfinals to Rafa at Roland Garros. Like, First match clay court season for Djokovic, who hadn't played a match since Dubai at the end of February. He played bad. He played rusty. Like, maybe this happens more or it's more pronounced at 35 than it would have been for Djokovic at 25, but it's one match. And it speaks to, again, the physicality Lorenzo Musetti was able to bring, that he was able to withstand and sort of wear out a struggling Novak Djokovic. But I don't read anything into this for Novak, truth be told. I'm here to celebrate this moment for Musetti, who with the win now back over 500, 9-8 overall on the year by reaching the quarterfinals here at this Masters event. He's up to number 20 uh, in the rankings, two off his career high of number 18. You look for Lorenzo Musetti in his career. It's his second quarterfinal at the Masters, both coming in the last 52 weeks as he also reached the quarterfinals in Paris. Yeah. He gets his clay court season rock and roll and gets confidence in a section of the schedule where he needs it most. You look for Musetti last year on the clay. He was able to reach uh, quarterfinals in Marrakesh, round of 16 Monte Carlo, round of 16 Barcelona, round of 16 Madrid. Lost first round to Tsitsipas Roland Garros, five sets. That won't be the case this year. Oh, yeah, he was up two sets to love in that match. I remember that one now. He's going to be seated at Roland Garros this year. He's a dangerous seed as well. The young Italian, very talented. And again, it's a really fun match between he and Sinner. Sinner, the 1-0 career head-to-head also, given his success. Not surprising to see, given Musetti was struggled so much before this event. Sinner, an 81.7% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I would lead Sinner as well. I know they both played three setters, but beating Hercots in three sets is not the same from a mental taxation standpoint as beating Novak Djokovic in a three-set match. So that's your top half of the draw. Uh, Musetti, Sinner. Uh, You've also got Medvedev, Runa. Again, because it's on clay, it's not a shock to see Medvedev only a 56.7% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I wonder if odds makers have uh, Holger Runa as the favorite. In fact, I would wager to say that they do. And you look right now, yep, Holgaruna minus 135. That makes sense. Eye test wise, results wise, pedigree wise, even though he's 19, he's already had more clay court success than Daniil Medvedev. So I suppose that does make sense. With that said, though, let's rapid fire through everything else that's happened in Monte Carlo this week. Bottom half of the draw, Taylor Fritz versus Tsitsipas. I've heard people calling it Fritzipas. Don't hate it. I won't lie. 
slowly growing on me. I didn't like it when I read it, but saying it out loud, Fritzy Pass, it's pretty fun. I won't lie. Okay. I, it's not a don't hate. I'm kind of in on Fritzy Pass. It's, it's the sort of stupid thing I would call my little brother. I'd say, hey, Fritzy Pass, get over here. Um, I'm not going to say what I call my little brother, but I would like to say that the term I use as a name for drawing my little brother's attention, I once referred to that name, which is not the kindest, um, to my parents, and they responded in full swing. They were like, I, you know, I guess I'll just say it and Westoff can quack it out. I was like, hey, how's doing? Because I'm very mature and that's what I call him. And they go, oh yeah, he's doing well. And they like didn't even say, oh, Nick's doing well. They just like totally rode with it, which was at all time high. I was just like, dad, you you acknowledge my calling of the name. And he was like, Alex, I think I just ignored whatever you said. Um, anyways, Fritzy Pass, in on it. Um, Tsitsipas is 3-0 in that career head-to-head. Fritz, really impressive wins over guys with weapons to push him. In Lachetka and Stan, the straight set win over Stan, the three set win over Lachetka. Yeah, the set points, the drama. I know Stan had his chances. He yanked a couple of forehands wide, hit an ill-advised drop shot on one of his set points in that first set. Fritz sort of running away with the momentum from there in the second. Fritz has looked good physically. Is he the most fluid in the corners? No, but the depth he gets on every ground stroke, the elevation and the accentuation, you can see he's getting outside the ball a little bit more, accentuating his racket speed on that forehand, kind of raffling his follow-through a little bit more over his right shoulder than his left shoulder to try to generate more topspin than drive. I mean, Taylor Fritz's hands from a baseline perspective, there's nothing he can't do with a ground stroke to generate power, to find an angle, get outside of the ball. He is so talented with his racket on that baseline. Worked Wawrinka to the outer corners. And then again, it's just the the consistent depth you have to deal with. The fact that he can hit all the serves, that he can open up the court for himself, hit the slice serve wide on the deuce, hit the kick serve wide on the edge to just open up these lanes of attack. And then you're on the full sprint. Well, now he's hitting the ball behind you and you can't really change direction. And, you know, again, his not the greatest drop shot, I think is actually more effective on this clay court because it's more difficult for opponents to change direction. I need to see Taylor Fritz, who's right around 500 in his career on clay courts, and he was injured for the majority of last season's clay courts play. So, you know, again, this is my biggest qualm in Taylor Fritz's perennial top 10 players. I need to still see it on clay, especially physically. I'll tell you what, two guys with weapons who could have made him uncomfortable in Lachetka and Wawrinka, he was able to withstand them. Now, Tsitsipas is a whole other nightmare. And guy, you know, Tsitsipas told Prakash Amritaj on the Tennis Channel desk that his shoulder feels healthy. He is a monster from a movement perspective. He extends rallies on this clay court. He probably is the one player who maybe gets faster on clay than he is on hard courts. God, the strength and the length and the power of his stride is so impressive. Look, he rode two breaks over Yari to a three and four win. That's impressive because Yari had pace that could have made Pass's life t- tough. And instead, it was the pace of Pass that actually drew a couple of critical forehand errors from Yari in the surface games. He was broken. Fritzipas is a front match. Tsitsipas 3-0 in the career had to head 74.7% favorite. I would lean that way as well. Also, shout out to Andre Rublev. Wins over Hachinov. Munar in th- uh, he got Munar in three sets. He got Hachinov in straights. Those are two tough matches to begin your clay court season. Look, Andre Rublev just makes quarterfinals of big events. He's like the 0.9 version of Jessica Pagula 
from a results perspective, if that makes sense. And by the way, quietly just sitting at one off his career high. He's six in the world right now, another quarterfinal. He's facing a guy in Jan Leonard Struff. Struff, a one in six win over uh, over Kasparu. That comes after a three and two win over Demon Hour in round number two, a four and three win over Ramos Vinolas. And of course, Jan Leonard Struff had to qualify and got wins over seeds there in Juan Pablo Varias and Emil Rusavori. You look for Jan Leonard Struff with this result. He now jumps all the way up in the live rankings, 36 spots from 100 to number 64. You look for Jan Leonard Struff. It's his first tour-level quarterfinal since all the way back. You have to go, oh, I guess he made Sofia at the end of last year, but he's only made two since the start of 2022. Sophia at the end of last year, now Monte Carlo here uh, to start this season. You look for him at the Masters level. It's just his second career quarterfinal first since August 2020 when he made that Masters 1000 in New York for what was ostensibly the Western Southern Open or Cincinnati event. I mean, yeah, you look for him in his career. I mean, Yalaner Schuf just has weapons, man. And he came out firing. Had Rude uncomfortable. Goes up two love in the blink of an eye. And he was up, what, 6-1-5-2 in this match against Casper Rude. Had multiple match points that Rude was able to fight off. And ultimately, Rude able to force a breaker. And yet, Struff just kept swinging. And again, dealing with the weight of his shot, the unpredictability. Is he going to go line? He mixes in drop shot. He's comfortable moving forward. The heaviness of his ball on this surface is extraordinarily effective, and he's another guy who benefits so much from that additional split second offered to him by the grit of a clay court. Second career quarterfinal at a Masters 1000 for Jan Leonard Struff. Again, he just kind of hit through that backhand of Kasper Ruud, came out white hot. A little bit of a schedule loss for Rude, who got the good round one win over Botik Vandesen, Schkulp 5-6. and six. Again, Rude, the win in Estoril last week. So I don't really worry about this one from him, big picture perspective. I just think Struff's hot, and he's fit right now. He's back in the top 75, which just guarantees him, what, $150,000, at least more, of paychecks this year in the three slam main draws. And, you know, he's probably going to get into... I don't know. Now you're making at least 200 grand the rest of the year. And I know he talked to us in his cracked interviews about what it's meant for him to become a father, how that's granted balance to him in his life. He's got a massive shot against Rublev, whom he's 3-3 three and three against in his career. And obviously he's got some weapons to make Rublev uncomfortable, to not allow Rublev to swing freely as he, you know, kind of did down the home stretch against Hatchinov. And again, God, the weight of that Andre Rublev forehand on this surface. I think I would, I think I'd blow a hip. Uh, you know, three games in, and I'd only be tracking down one shot a rally. And so that's where things stand in Monte Carlo. Obviously, major disappointment that Matteo Berrettini announcing an injury following his three-set victory over Sarundolo. Hopefully, we get him healthy. It feels like whenever he starts to play well again, another injury pops up. So here's to hoping we get a healthy Berrettini back soon. But again, listen to the field. Sinner Musetti, Two of the proven young talents, clay court talents in particular, on uh, in our men's game, Medvedev Runa. Two, you know, they held seed. It's the three seed versus the six seed. Fritz Sitsipas, Fritz Sitsipas held seed. That's the two versus eight. Two top ten players. Another top ten guy in Andre Rublev taking on the always dangerous qualifier and an exciting big hitter in Jan Leonard Struff. It's where you want to be entering this first week 
championship weekend in Monte Carlo. And, you know, for what it's worth, Tsitsipas a 32.2% favorite. Sinners at 32.1%. Rublev, Medvedev, third and fourth. Then a little bit of a dip after that. God, I hope we get a Sinner Tsitsipas final. I mean, any permutation, any combination, I'm in. I think Monte Carlo's delivered. It's delivered madness. It's delivered exceptional tennis, setting a fun tone for the 2023 clay court season, of course. How will championship weekend unfold? We'll be back tomorrow to discuss it all, keep you up to date on everything that happens again. We've also got plenty of college tennis this weekend for you. ACC, SEC broadcast Friday, Sunday on ESPN, ACC Network, and SEC Network Plus. We've got Big Ten coverage for you Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. A shout-out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A massive shout-out as well to our dear supporters at Tennis Point. Remember, for all of the latest equipment, excuse me, at the best prices, go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 today. With all that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.